Okay, the Bible professor here. What is the real history behind that first Christmas? You can turn or tap to Matthew chapter 2 if you want to study along. But I call this section of scripture uh, two kings, two kings. Uh, Matthew 2 says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. After Jesus was born. So, yes, there's an issue here of uh, the wise men uh, came sometime later after Jesus was born, maybe up to when he was a toddler. Okay, so the, the wise men on their camels and whatnot were not there at the first nativity at the, the manger. Okay, uh, the shepherds were. Uh, but anyway, I think most of us know that by now. But after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, Matthew's actually very specific that it's not the Bethlehem up in the Galilee region, but the one in Judea. So Matthew's already being historically specific here for us, which is good. In the days of Herod the king, Herod the Great here is the king. Now, his story takes us back into the intertestamental period. You need to understand this guy's background. He's a paranoid tyrant. Uh, and uh, very problematic, although uh, he had great uh, political prowess, to be sure, and uh, he was a great uh, a master architect, and there's no uh, doubting uh, that as well. So uh, the days of Herod the king, Magi, who were the Magi? These were uh, sages, uh, perhaps those who dealt in astrology as well. We find Magi way back in the courts of uh, Egyptian uh, courts of uh, Pharaoh. Uh, we find Magi also in the book of Daniel, who was taken east in the uh, uh, Babylonian captivity. And uh, Daniel left behind a book of a timeline of the Messiah. So uh, perhaps they had access to Daniel's prophecy. I'm not sure. Uh, they did see a celestial sign, though a supernatural sign uh, God gave them. It would be really interesting if uh, both were true. You know, God uh, revealed himself about the Messiah, the Savior coming through. Uh, the natural phenomenon, and then also through special revelation. And uh, God uh, does that, has done that, and do, does that. So anyway, Magi from the east, that's usually uh, Babylon, modern-day Baghdad, Iraq area, when you read uh, the east in uh, in the Bible. They arrived in Jerusalem, okay, saying, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? Well, to understand this guy, background of this guy, Herod, we need to understand he's the king of the Jews uh, and who he, 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 what is the deal with him? Okay, springboarding off of uh, or using Norman Geisler's syllogism here, just to let you know where I'm coming from, uh, uh, essentially, uh, God cannot err. That means he cannot make mistakes. The Bible is the word of God, and therefore the Bible cannot err. So, uh, and this is just another example, one of many, many examples that exist of how the Bible is accurate and true, and uh, it, it aligns with real-world history. And so we see that going on in a huge way here, even at the birth of Jesus Christ. So I just wanted to put that out there. Um, why should we even study and think about the New Testament anyway? Uh, why worry about it? Well, we're commanded by God uh, Want to show yourself approved to God? Well, you need to accurately handle his word, rightly divide the word of truth. So let's think through the history here. Who, Where is Bethlehem? Right, I've mentioned that already. Who is Herod the Great? Who are the Magi? 
who is the king, King Jesus, right? All these players on the stage, if you will, we're trying to study out and learn a little bit about each one. So we're commanded to do that. God revealed himself and performed his saving work in real history. Winfrey Cordron in his book, No Doubt About It, The Case for Christianity. And that's right. Uh, that's exactly uh, what uh, we're looking at here, how God revealed his saving work in real history. Again, Herod the Great takes us back to the intertestamental period, occupation of Israel from Babylon to Rome. Daniel, the prophet Daniel, I've already mentioned him. He had prophesied uh, all of the goings-on in the intertestamental period, the roughly 400 years of silent years, uh, You know that little bit of white space on the page between the end of Malachi and the beginning of Matthew in your English Bible. What was going on during that time? Well, all the world powers that came in succession, as Daniel interpreted the dream of Nebuchadnezzar and so forth, uh, those things happened, right? Uh, Babylon, Medo-Persian, Greek, Roman Empire, a lot going on. This is why uh, Paul says in Galatians 4.4, in the fullness of the time, God sent forth his son, born of a virgin, born uh, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who are under the law in the fullness of the time. What does that mean, though? Well, it uh, it was uh, it had to do with the dispersion, the diaspora or diaspora, the diaspora of the Jews uh, had been dispersed. It was during this time because a lot of things were going on during that time, the synagogues. Uh, uh, people began to synagogue together, uh, and other things. These parties were formed, such as uh, Pharisees, Essenes, Sadducees, and whatnot. And then you had after the uh, uh, after the captivity, you had the um, uh, Greek language, art, culture, philosophy, and so forth being spread by Alexander the Great. Urban civilization, right? You had. Uh, um, Ephesus, uh, Corinth, Rome, Jerusalem, down in Alexandria. You have these major cities where there's a lot of uh, civilization, urban urban civilization. So there's metropolitan areas where lots of people can hear the gospel and other things are going on, culture and, and uh, artisans and so forth. Uh, civilization is being built and formed uh, fairly well. The Pax Romana, the relative peace of Rome, is also going on. Uh, the Roman uh, after the Greeks, then the Romans uh, come to power, and they spread. Um, uh, they lay down a, a universal road system. You've heard the old saying, "All roads lead to Rome," like spokes out of the hub of a wheel. Imagine an old wagon wheel with the hub in the middle and the spokes going out in every direction. That's how the roads led, so they could bring back tribute to Rome. Also, if they need to send out soldiers to squash any rebellion and whatnot. So the universal road system, God would use that to uh, help facilitate the spread of the gospel after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And also Daniel's 70 uh, weeks, the 69th heptad or period of seven was about to come to fruition. So the 483 years are about to be ended uh, until the decree of going forth by Artaxerxes for the Jews to return to rebuild the uh, Jerusalem will be 483 years. Uh, and that takes us um, uh, getting pretty close to uh, the time of Christ and the time when Daniel 9, 24, 25, 26 says the Messiah will be cut off. Okay, so Daniel 9 uh, then is a prophecy of the timeline of the Messiah, the Savior. So all these things are going on. 
Uh, Daniel's kingdoms, uh, Babylon, Medo-Persian, Greece, Rome, as I said. Just an overview. I actually got this uh, slide from a, one of my seminary professors back in the day. It's just a timeline. These dates are probably a little rough, rough uh, uh, estimate on the datings, uh, but no big problems there. Uh, and then, as I said, Rome takes over. Uh, Julius Caesar, you know, he was a real person, that uh, guy you read about in 10th grade literature or, or whatever. Herod the Great was also a real person. He was given the land of Israel in around 40 BC. It took him about three years to get down there and uh, shore up a few things. I think he had to fight a few battles. He dies in 4 BC, so Jesus is born somewhere between 4 and 6 BC. We'll mention that. Herod's sons, so Herod the Great, his architecture, the things he built, uh, Masada, the mountaintop fortress, uh, the Herodian uh, in the south, uh, south of Jerusalem. But most importantly, perhaps, well, also Caesarea out on the coast, Mediterranean coast, where the Apostle Paul would be on trial. Philip lived there, Cornelius and so forth, other things going on. But uh, most importantly, Herod refurbished the temple in Jerusalem for the Jews. And we see that John chapter 2, I think it is. This temple has been uh, being worked on for 40 some years. And, you know, you're not yet 50. How are you going to say, you know, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it? Well, Josephus began to, uh, I'm sorry, Josephus tells us Herod began work on this temple at roughly around 22 BC. So if you fast forward, you know that we're in the 20s. When Jesus is standing there uh, and the events of John's gospel are taking place. So Herod really is the backdrop to the four gospels and the book of Acts, incidentally, because his sons, Archelaus, who actually is the one here in Matthew 2 after verse 1 and 2, Arche uh, when Joseph and Mary take the young child Jesus and flee south, right, the flight to Egypt, they flee south to Egypt to escape the wrath of this uh, uh, deadly king. I'm thinking of uh, the words of Rich Mullins' song now, uh, but this is scriptural, uh, the slaughter of the innocents, right? Art, artwork, is, uh, paintings have been made uh, on, on this issue out of Matthew 2. Okay, if you like what I'm trying to do with the Bible Professor podcast, please subscribe and like in the links below. Also, click that share button to send it on to your social media to share with others, okay? Someone else may need or may appreciate uh, this kind of uh, Bible teaching. So send it along by sharing it, if you will, and I'd appreciate it. Anyway, Joseph and Mary uh, take the child, Jesus, they flee down to Egypt. And when they uh, come back into the land of Israel, they are warned again in a dream, uh, or they figure out not to go back to, let me check if myself before I wreck if myself. They left for Egypt, Matthew 2, 4. 14, and that was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Hosea. All right, then the slaughter of the innocent. Verse 21, Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned by God in a dream, he left for the regions of Galilee and came and lived in a city called Nazareth. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. That's how... Chapter two ends in Matthew's gospel. So, so Archelaus, Archelaus is mentioned there. Philip uh, is mentioned. He's the guy who has, uh, you know, these problems that John the Baptist has problems with uh, Herod Philip's morality. 
and so forth. John speaks up against the immorality and is beheaded because of it. This is Herod Philip. Now, Herod Antipas, you need to know something. You need to know the following about Herod Antipas. If you want to understand how to read the Gospels clearly on this point of uh, in the relationship of Herod, after Matthew 2, unless it's Philip or in the specific context of Herod Philip, whenever you read Herod, the name Herod throughout the Gospels after Matthew 2, it is not Herod the Great. That was mentioned in verse two, uh, verse 1 and 2. It is this son, Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas is the primary Herod in the majority, uh, mentioned the majority of times in the Gospels. He is the one that Jesus referred to as that old fox, for instance. Uh, he is the one who there at the end of the Gospels uh, was uh, punting Jesus back and forth between him and Pontius Pilate. And actually, those two, Pontius Pilate and Herod Antipas, became friends over the whole ordeal. And so um, Jesus uh, was suffered and crucified under uh, uh, the reign of Herod Antipas and uh, the Jerusalem rule of uh, Pontius Pilate. Okay, so that's uh, uh, the real history, uh, what's going on here. Back up to Herod the Great, back up to Herod the Great. Uh, one of the supporters of Pompey was an Idumean named Ant Antipater. Now, Antipater was Herod the Great's father. That's already a historical problem uh, because the Edomians were descendants of Edom, uh, uh, Esau. And so the Jews in Jerusalem, you know, this is already a problem that some of that clan, the Edomians, are going to rule over us now. They already, already have a problem with Roman occupation, and now to uh, rub salt into the wound, if you will, or, or to open the wound further, really, you have an Idumean ruling, uh, Herod the Great. Okay, So he was given the kingdom uh, of Israel by Rome. Due to Archelaus's incompetence, Judea was made a Roman province and placed under the Roman imperial governors called prefects after uh, Herod the Great. And you see Pontius Pilate uh, uh, down here. Um, as one of those rulers. Again, the real history behind the first Christmas. Okay, and you see some of the prefects here in the list Tiberius Alexander, Antonius Felix, notice his dates, Paul's on trial before him in the book of Acts, also Portius Festus after him. And uh, um, so uh, you see Herod Agrippa, you see his dates 37 to 44. The Apostle Paul's going to be on trial. Before Herod Philip, I'm sorry, Herod Agrippa the first and Agrippa the second in the book of Acts. So again, the real history behind the first Christmas. Now let's talk about, let's back up again to this guy, Herod the Great, and think about who he is. He's a master architect and a paranoid tyrant. He's born in 73 BC and 40 BC. He's named King of Judah by the Roman Senate. Herod takes control of Jerusalem in 37 B.C. He begins work on the temple in 23, 22 B.C. He dies in 4 B.C. Um, Octavian confirmed kingship of Herod. Uh, lands are added to his kingdom. Now, what was going on, um, uh, Herod was originally um, on the side of Mark Antony uh, in this battle of Actium against uh Mark Antony was battling against Octavian. 
at just the right time because he was smart politically. Uh, Herod the Great sided with Octavius, and so he was rewarded for his uh, latter fidelity. Herod's family tree, notice this list. He had several wives simultaneously. He had two of his sons executed because he caught wind of a coup. He thought they were uh, going to try to knock him off and, and, and take his throne. So he had his two of his own sons killed, incidentally. There's a play on the Greek word for huios, uh, huios his son, and the word for a pig. So it's better to be Herod's swine than his son. Play on the Greek words there. It's just a saying that you can find in the history books, uh, nonetheless. A great book on the archaeology of uh, Herod the Great. This is actually called The Architecture of Herod the Great Builder by Ehud Netzer, but also um, Yigel Yadin, his book on Masada. Um, nice, glossy photos in Yadin's book. Uh, these, these are research on the archaeology of Herod the Great. And again, I've mentioned here Herod the Great and then Archelaus, but Herod Antipas is the main guy we find uh, in the Gospels. And also Harold Honer. Uh, one of the most tremendous uh, Bible scholars um, wrote a great work on Herod Antipas. I think this was one of his PhD dissertations somewhere. I could be wrong about that. At any rate, I've used this book um, in my own teaching and research. It's a tremendous uh, book uh, that's researched uh, the literature and the archaeology uh, and just really gleaned a lot. This is quite a resource now. Uh, a great reference work for Herod Antipas and what was going on. Now, he'll use some Josephus. Josephus is also a great work, The Antiquity of the Jews and the Wars of the Jews, to see what was going on, the mindset of the Jews in and around the city of Jerusalem at the time of Christ. And uh, Honer drew from that, but also many other historical uh, uh, records. Mark 14, 1, Herod the Tetrarch. That means he's a ruler over a fourth of the land, okay, because the land of Israel was divided among Herod's sons. Okay, so Herod is a tetrarch. This is Herod Antipas, and he is the one that Jesus uh, had to uh, contend with. Um, Pontius Pilate, uh, Herod and Pontius Pilate are mentioned over in the preaching of the apostles in Acts 4. In Acts 13, um, uh, Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the tetrarch, Wow, another connection to history, men and women. Uh, Luke 13, just that time some Pharisees approached saying to him, go away, leave here for Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, go and tell that fox. Okay, that was Jesus' uh, response to what Herod Antipas uh, was doing there. So uh, Luke 23, Herod's jurisdiction, again, Herod Antipas. Now Archelaus, uh, we mentioned that in Matthew 2 already. Uh, Herod Philip is mentioned in Luke 3 couple of times. Agrippa I is mentioned in Acts 12. On that very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. When Peter came to himself, he said, now I know for sure that the Lord has sent his angel, sent forth his angel, rescue me from the hand of Herod, from all the Jewish people, all that Jewish people were expecting. This is Agrippa I, Acts 13. I'm, I'm sorry, Acts, uh, Acts 12. The Herodians uh, a political party, those who supported the occupation of the Herod uh, dynasty uh, in in the city of Jerusalem. They were referred to as Herodians. So you had Pharisees, Sadducees, Herodians, and Essenes. 
four uh, philosophies, actually, Josephus referred to them as in his writings. These were four political, religious slash political groups uh, in, in Jerusalem at the time of Christ. You see them uh, being mentioned, actually, in Matthew's gospel here. So, again, a connection to the history. Acts 25, you have Agrippa II, a grandson or great-grandson of Herod the Great. Acts 26, as well, uh, you have Agrippa mentioned again in Paul's own trial before. Antipas, as I said, is uh, Herod the Tetrarch. He's mentioned in Matthew 14, Mark 6, Luke 3, Luke 9. And um, elsewhere in Luke, Acts, Philip's mentioned in Luke 3, I said, Agrippa in Acts 12 and 13, Agrippa the second in Acts 25 and 26, okay? So one more time, just to piece this up for you before we continue on, just to piece this together. You have Herod the Great in Matthew 2. He is the one who was reigning when Jesus Christ became incarnated and was born in Bethlehem you know, almost 2,000 years ago. Herod the Great. Herod dies shortly after that. It's an interesting issue there, even if you read Josephus's uh, coverage of it. Herod the Great in Matthew 2, in the first couple of verses. Herod Archelaus is mentioned at the end of chapter 2 of Matthew, when Joseph, Mary, and Jesus have come back into the land. Herod the Great. Herod Archelaus. Herod Philip is the one who, under whom John the Baptist was beheaded. The other brother, Herod Agrippa, is the main one in the Gospels, whom Jesus called that old fox and who also was there at the trial uh, of Jesus between uh, Herod and Pontius Pilate. That was Herod Agrippa. Okay, Herod the Great, Archelaus, Philip. Antipas. Just wanted to get those uh, down for you. And the reignal dates, the dates they reigned of the Herods. Herod the Great reigned until 4 BC. Archelaus until 6 AD. Philip until AD 34. Antipas uh, until AD 39. Over another part of the the territory, right? Agrippa the second until uh, 43, 44. I'm sorry, Agrippa the first, and then Agrippa the second. Actually, you see, he has quite a lengthy rain interestingly enough all right i said this uh lesson is about two kings that's herod the great so back to matthew 2 the magi uh matthew says in the days of herod the king the magi from the east say and where is he who's been born king of the jews because we saw a star in the east and come to worship him when herod the king heard this he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Well, yes, he was, because if you know the guy's a paranoia, he's not going to let them allow to live. He's not going to let a, a coup live. Okay, He's not going to let it live. He's already proven that. So, yes, he's troubled, but all Jerusalem with him as well, because they know what Herod the Great is capable of. This is why you have the slaughter of the innocents in Matthew chapter 2, when Jesus is a young boy. You just keep reading in Matthew 2, the next few verses, and you'll see what specifically there I'm referring to. So that's one king, Herod the king. But where is he who's been born king of the Jews? Let's contrast him and his attitude 
with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, in contrast to Herod the Great, he's born in a borrowed cave. He fished from a borrowed boat. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. Philippians 2 talks about his ultimate humility. Leaving the awesome splendor of heaven to come to earth as a man. Philippians 2, 6 through 11. You read that great, great passage on the incarnation of Christ. Jesus' background, in contrast to Herod's, his background is eternity. He's eternal, Jesus Christ. The second member of the triune Godhead is eternal. Okay? Uh, the word was with God and the word was God. John chapter 1, the prologue. Jesus Christ has creative power. Herod the Great could build some pretty amazing stuff here, engineering feats he accomplished here on earth in the land of Israel. No doubt, no argument there. But he created from pre-existing material. Jesus Christ created out of nothing. He performed tremendous miracles while here on earth as well. He was God in the flesh. And he has an unfathomable love of man. He doesn't expect every man to be treacherous toward him like Herod the Great was. Felt like he could never turn his back. Jesus Christ has an unfathomable care and love for mankind. That includes you. Jesus' birth was planned by God, announced by angels, visited by shepherds. He was born in a cave. Again, the humility. He was visited by wise men. The power of Jesus, he has creation power, healing power. He performed miracles. He has angels at his command, he said. And John 10, 18 says, I have the authority or power, exousia, authority or power to lay my life down. I have the authority or power to raise it up again. So raising himself from the dead, holy, totally, absolutely unique. The preeminence of Jesus is mentioned in the scripture. Colossians 1.18, again, his creative power. Philippians 2, uh, the, the incarnation of, of God, the flesh. John 10.30, I and the Father are one. John 8.58, before Abraham was born, you know, 1,500 year, years prior, 1,500 years prior, I am, I currently exist. Thomas, doubting Thomas, who eventually said, my Lord and my God. So let me give you this invitation. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see the word of God is true. It aligns with real world history. It's accurate. God cannot err. The Bible is God's word, and therefore the Bible cannot err. The first Christmas story was in the context of real world history and real time and space. Those are just facts. I would like to invite you to taste and see that the Lord is good. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish or suffer the wrath of God for eternity, but instead will have eternal life, a quality of life in the presence of God himself. So this is the great hope, the great truth of Christmas, the great reality of Christmas. This is the great invitation of Christmas, and this is the history of behind the real history behind the first Christmas. Don't miss where the evidence is pointing. 
the great literary critic C.S. Lewis said this right here. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, that is Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say, Lewis said. A man who is merely a wise man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to, end quote. And that's C.S. Lewis's great trilemma that uh, Jesus is either that Jesus Christ is either liar, lunatic, or in fact, a Lord. So I would urge you to consider the two kings of the first Christmas story. And again, this has been a podcast episode on the real history behind that first Christmas out of Matthew chapter two. I'm the Bible professor. Be blessed.